This episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by Harry's. Harry's will send you high-quality shaving equipment and razors directly to your door. If you go to harrys.com, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and use the offer code THUMBS at checkout, you will get $5 off your first order. That's harrys.com with the offer code THUMBS for $5 off your first order. And now I've done this ad, and I am uh, here in the office by myself talking to myself. Uh, because Jake and uh, Nick aren't here yet. Um, and I'm just hanging out. Everyone see that Wizard Jam stream? Yep. That was good. Good video. Good content on the internet. I'm sure Jake and Nick will be here any any minute. What if I pick what if I pick a random word to see how many times I can say it to Nick before he notices and observes it? I'll tell you guys because you can hear me but he won't know and Jake won't know what should the word be um okay what about what, <laughs> i don't know why this i don't know why this was i just went to the word of the day website to look through some recent words to give me some ideas so what about sly boots this word is described as um an engagingly sly or mischievous person as in that nick brecken is a real sly boots Let's see if i can get it this is really this is such a stupid idea so let's see how many times I can use that before he he uh, realizes something's going on. Or Jake, I suppose. It's June 16th, 2016. This is uh, Idle Thumbs 267, I imagine. I'm Chris Remo. Uh, I'm Nick Brecken. Uh... I'm oh, Jake Rodman. You guys are terrible. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, yes. that's true. <laughs> that is that is the truth. <laughs> and we are terrible because it's E3 week. Mm. The week of entertainment for all. <laughs> <laughs> do they, they don't still call it E for all, do they? E for, no, all, was that ne- was... e for all was never E3. There was a oh, year yeah. that was like now 10 years ago when E3 like ended in quotes. Right. And then some mm-hmm. other organization rented out the LA Convention Center and were like, we're making E4, E for all, the public <laughs> E3, which was also not... Then E3 came back as E5, yeah. and <laughs> they, they, next year they just ignored that. Oh, evolution. man. Uh, speaking of things with bad numbers coming back badly, the Xbox One is being sequelized. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, sort of. It's now the Xbox Two. You you wish it was the Xbox Two. <laughs> I really don't. Oh, it's the Xbox 360. It's the Xbox <laughs> Xbox 3. Now, yeah. Microsoft said that they're making uh, a slim Xbox that's coming out soon called the Xbox One S, but there's also an Xbox One Scorpio. What? Coming out next year. <laughs> which there's is a different thing with an S? Yes. So the Xbox, so there's the Xbox One S, yes. then the, there's the Xbox, Xbox One, but one then S. But then there's the Xbox One S, period. Yes. Because it's yeah. an abbreviation. It's abbreviation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, <laughs> then they'll release the Xbox S spelled E-S-S. Uh, <laughs> for the extra special system. <laughs> I think the Xbox One Scorpio extra is similar to what... Uh, right. It's similar to what... Those sly boots. Oh, man. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. whatever you don't you don't care what the Scorpio is, but it's basically like yeah, I, it's, care, I care what the Scorpio it's the, is. It's yeah. like the Neo of the Xbox world, Neo versus Scorpio. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> we're entering a dark and mysterious time for uh, console hardware. 
it's actually not dark and mysterious. I think it's really interesting personally. I um I know that there are a lot of people who are on the fence one way or the other about the like mid tier update, like constant yeah. or like, yeah, console as PC or console as iPad. I think it's good. Yeah, I don't know. What What do you think huh. is good about it? Um, I think it. I like like as I don't know. I've I've when I started working at Telltale, we were PC only, and then moving to console was a weird thing for me to suddenly have a fixed platform and there are strengths to it but i like i like being able to have like a good like a cutting edge version of of a game that you're making and then also like have the previous generation in quotes exist Mm. as a fallback skew that's on the same uh basic like you're building for functionally a very similar system but you can just turn stuff off like that's a total that's a thing in PC development that I like, um, as opposed to the previous generation just being a complete wipe and you have to have a clean slate. I also like for customers, it means that you can still buy the latest games on your system that you already own. And potentially that will give, like, if you're a person who can't afford the latest one or don't want to buy it yet, that means that doesn't mean you have to go buy the Call of Duty SKU for that year that you know that if you then get the new system for Christmas, mm. that copy that you owned is fucked. Instead, mm-hmm. like it's the you, Blu-ray DVD pack-in. Yeah, like if you have the yeah. PS4 copy of games this year and then they download to include patches for Neo, your purchases actually literally just look better when you buy the new system as opposed to like previous times when we've had a console generation slip, like the last one felt like everyone was just releasing both versions of their game. I don't know. But, but that, so sure, but it sounds like you're describing a situation where you believe that this is going to replace traditional console cycles instead of additive to them, well, right? The quotes, I mean, like, the quotes that they've all been issuing are like, and most of the press like reads on the situation is that both Microsoft and Sony are looking at uh, like at cell phones and tablets. Oh yeah, I was gonna bring up cell phones. And so you think and going like, oh, why are we not making an iPad and then an iPad Pro and then the iPad Pro's specs eventually slide down to become the new iPad and then we introduce a new iPad Pro that's So you like, don't think better. there's gonna be like an Xbox four I don't or actually a PlayStation know. I mean, five that actually resets the hardware. That's where like right now I think we're in a place where it's really actually potentially customer and for and middleware like Unity using developer friendly. Uh, if you're if you're Naughty Dog, it's or or equivalent. It's probably really a bummer that you've got to build for a new thing. But uh, I think like yeah, I think this mid tier one is is friendly for most people long term. But the place that's going to be actually interesting and potentially has good or bad ramifications that we can't tell is if the next rev, if the next piece of hardware that comes out after Neo after Scorpio is a clean slate like a new new console like is the xbox 2 or if they're like the xbox scorpion <laughs> you know like uh the 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 really interesting step for me is going to be what happens in the next the next time they refresh the hardware like if they because yeah. i think both xbox and playstation are on so you, intel so you, derived hardware with modern-esque yeah. gpus like there's their components are so similar to pc that maybe they can uh, eventually do like what Apple kind of does but should be better at and, and let developers drop support for systems after a certain year because the hardware has evolved so many steps away. Or maybe they'll just totally flip it and have a PlayStation 5. But like Past a point, though, you wonder, like, what's the... What's the actual, like, bottleneck? Well, what's this... Bec- what is the distinction between this... And, like, I-, I, guess the, I guess it's still <clears throat> easier than sort of building your own PC and this and that. Yeah. But it just seems like... I don't know. I mean, what's the point of consoles at this point? Yeah, yeah. like past well, the point, doesn't it just start eh. to get like 
almost as expensive as as maintaining a PC if you want to play the if you want to like be in the best position. I and mean, then complicated in terms of knowing when you like fall off the compatibility curve and like you have to be a real sly boots to like figure out how to uh, <laughs> how to <laughs> keep up with um, that like process right as a player i don't know it seems well there are there are always going to be platforms regardless of pc or console right i mean like there's the origin platform the steam platform on pc where at this point it's just almost as obnoxious to me as steam or as you know ps4 and xbox so i just feel like probably everything's just going to move more towards that right where like the i mean mean, already it has where the hardware is kind of essentially i guess look at iphones people either want people either pay $400 when a new iPhone comes out, or they go, ah, I'll wait next year for the next iPhone. Oh, my apps are getting real slow. Oh, I'm running out of space. Yeah. Okay. I guess this is the year but- when I buy a new phone. And like Sony's and Microsoft's goal seems to be make developers work the way app developers work, where you write, or when you release something, it works on all of this shit. And uh, here's, here's a here's, so here's, I think a really big spoke in that wheel though. I Did you see reporting recently about how most people just do not download new apps anymore. Like a phone is not like a gaming platform. Like a gaming platform, the whole point of it is that you're getting new games, maybe not all the time. I mean, some people only buy a few a year, but like the point of it is not like you're not just going to hang out with your Xbox or with your PlayStation without the content. Whereas on a phone, like most people have basically figured out the apps they need. It's pretty much just the already existent huge apps that get like that people continue to download um, and also, none of those apps are really taxing the system hardware. Right? Like you can make Facebook run better, but you don't need a new phone to run it. You know, you kind of want the new phone just for the general improved experience and the mm-hmm. new hardware features. But game developers are always looking to like max out hardware and be like really graphically impressive. And ga- games are just way more <clears throat> demanding and and sort of interactive and complicated and unstable than phone apps are right i i i don't think that that i don't think those two ecosystems and models are interchangeable i don't know i'm very i'm very skeptical of this personally i don't i would say i'm skeptical i think jake made a lot of good points that i hadn't thought about um but i also just my instant reaction was just complete malaise like i just you know i just (laughs) i just i i (laughs) It's weird, like at this point, I, I don't know, and I guess I'm just the bad, like a bad person to have a reaction to this because I also just didn't really follow any E3 stuff this year, and also they haven't looked at an Apple conference in a while and don't really yeah, care about Yeah, we already knew about things, the PlayStation but, version of this, basically. Yeah, you know, but but like I just, ugh, God, I, I guess at this point if they're not, I, it, I mean, it just really has reached a point where none of this stuff means as much as it used to, which also means that I care a lot less about it and also... Probably, well, that's that's which wh- might be a good thing ultimately. That's which, wh- is, which is why the fact you know, that like, the fact that it does mean less than it used to is why I'm glad that they're kind of plateauing and letting developers yeah. actually keep a very similar code base running and iterate over time, as opposed to like, I mean, the fact that they can go from a 1080p console to a 4K console and keep yep. the same architecture under the hood in a way that you did not used to be able to when you went from 16 colors to 256 colors, from 2D to 3D, from, you know, not having shaders to having them. You know, yeah. like, the, the the architecture doesn't seem like it's changing that much, and I'm glad that the hardware manufacturers are at least experimenting with it. I mean, 
So that that part I agree is sort of an unambiguous good, right? Like for all of the challenges of PC gaming, something that is clearly correct about it from a development standpoint is that the architecture doesn't just reset itself. Like even if you have a, you know, it's as a developer, you're making games for basically the same platform year in, year out, even though all kinds of new graphical features are introduced and, you know, hardware specs change radically. But like the architecture is the same. You're not making a game for just a totally different computer every five, like fundamentally differently built right. computer. And that's obviously good because it means things like old, old, old games can be made to run on modern computers with a bit of tinkering or maybe with some software support. But like that's totally possible, whereas there just isn't any version of that on consoles. And so th from that <clears throat> standpoint, that stuff is obviously good. I just I'm well, just sort of with without knowing what the actual like five year, 10 year plan is for and maybe the manufacturers aren't yet sure of this either, but without knowing how that actually works on this sort of like release side, I'm, I I just don't yet know. Yeah, no, that's right. Well, the, the, yeah, go oh, ahead. go ahead. No, it's your no. it's your day, Nick. <laughs> I mean, just it's it it feels really like hard they, to they get. Could, they could be real sly boots about this. They could be. Fucking Jesus Christ! Yep. Chris is really trying to make Chris's sly boots happen. Chris is really trying podcast. to make the episode title happen. It's um, not. It's not gonna. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't know. I just, oh God, it just feels like across all of gaming right now, there are so many hardware things happening, uh, that I just don't know how oh, I'm going to ever be That's excited. True. Also just hardware fatigue, hardware, but like if we're going to have two different consoles announced from each platform holder at any given time, plus a VR platform, plus like new graphics cards and just like all of the things that you could potentially buy. I'm just not going to buy any of it well, because I don't know what to do and I don't really care. Like I just, well, and Razor, oh, Razor apparently announced, Razor announced a, a new an yeah, open source uh, VR, VR thing, except apparently they already even had like a, a simpler VR headset before that I didn't yeah. even know existed. So like, that's just how overwhelmed we are with new hardware you can buy. I feel just, like it's it is fair to say what you just said, Nick. But on the other hand, I also don't know how fair that is because I think VR hardware pr proliferation and the existence of iterative console SKUs come from very different places. It's like VR headsets. When I heard the analogy, they to, do until they're tied. When I, they're not. <laughs> they're fucking not though. Well, they might be. In they the are literally right now not. That is a thing that is not actually happening. Well, you mean except for the PlayStation one. The pl the PlayStation, I mean, sure, Sony's peripheral works with Sony consoles, but also the same headset works with both of their systems. Like, that's, they're not right. like, and then there's also the HD one that exclusively, no. But I'm just saying, like, if you want a Vive, oh, man. you have to have a certain spec. If you want whatever future VR thing might be released for a console, you might need that new console. So I'm just saying, like, eventually, I, I, it's I, clearly going to be some kind of, like, ugh, if you want this new thing, you've got to buy the new I hear that, and, and the, the counter-argument to that, I think, actually is... That it seems like people right now we're actually at the point where people are trying to wrangle that. Like Nvidia is like the cards that came out or that are announced this year are both ones where it's like you could put this in a computer and your computer will be able to do VR unless it's an ancient ass computer. Yeah. Um. And uh, the whatever AMD ATI like their baseline new set is the same thing where it's like the cost. I don't know. I mean, that is fair, but for me, VR headsets are the one place that is that total bubble of just f fuck off for me, where it's well, like, that feels, that does feel like Rock Band versus Guitar Hero versus a thousand other, like, everyone is just vomiting yeah. peripherals that are functionally the same, but don't actually work with each other and have 
specific software and specific apps that they're connected to. But I don't feel like graphics hardware or console hardware has that problem because they're deliberately right now trying to actually centralize around a small number of like platforms and tool chains for those. Whereas the v- whereas the VR headsets is where it's like, oh, you're exclusive to our store. Oh, you're exclusive to we ha- we handle motion tracking with a camera attached to the headset. Whereas we have cameras <clears> that you <throat> have to affix into your room, so they're <laughs> never ever gonna work with each other. Like right. that's that's the hellscape is VR for me. That's true. I don't know. That's true. You're wrong, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you're so, probably. I mean I think you're right insofar as that it's it's just it really is just heading more towards phones at this point. Where but I and, but I think that what that means is that eventually you're going to buy a game and it's going to say, well, it looks like this on your iPhone five and it, it and it looks like this on your iPhone four, but then also it doesn't run on your iPhone three, and it's just this weird tier thing where eventually I just yeah, it's going to be track it's going like, to be weird when the next like in two years of now is Call of Duty. Technically, it runs on the PlayStation 4 because it has to, but it's a shitty port. But I mean, I really think we're not going to be able to definitively know what any of this stuff means until we're two, three, or four years down the line at an yeah, E3 true, when they sure. announce what their next hardware is and yeah. like what that actually means for all of the ambitions that we're living inside of right now. Yep. I don't know. Does that seem accurate to you? Yeah, it does. That's, I mean, that's why I said it's hard for me to to know how I feel about this until I know what the sort of almost five and, or ten year plan yeah, is. Yeah, until we've been living inside it for a while, then we're told that I it was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess my reaction to this is is despite everything I said, is probably closer to what Nick described. That's less qualitative and more just overwhelmed. Like it's it's honestly just really hard. For me to keep up with all of the things that are announced about video game platforms and like I know you're Jake, you're, you're right that the VR headsets are not the same. Th- like they're totally not the same thing as this sort of incremental platform upgrade release thing that seems to be encroaching. They're, they are totally separate. They come from different but places. But also there are just objectively like, a lot of them. Yeah. Now. But as yeah. someone who's just like keeping up with it all, like it's so hard for me to remember which VR headsets are actually out and which ones aren't and like how much they all cost and which ones play what like it's and i know that's not the same thing but like but just when you combine all the different hardware things that are out there like it's just kind of a little bit overwhelming i know some people just receive that information more easily i'm just the kind of person who finds that stuff hard to remember i feel like i just bought i mean i'll sort of seg us into a new territory here but i i feel like i just bought my wii u specifically to play the new zelda and now the new zelda has been announced as a launch title for the next nintendo console (laughs) which is that's infuriating to everyone oh yeah that's infuriating to everyone but that just really like that's a classic thing that's a classic that's a classic nintendo move of course that's a classic wii twilight princess uh but then they then they still secretly, then they still secretly yeah. put the GameCube one out. And yes, I, and uh, I didn't buy the Wii version because of because I wanted to play with the controller. But then I realized what <laughs> I didn't want to play at all was Twilight Princess. Right, despite how excited <laughs> I was for Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess was the progenitor of this new console uh, methodology. It ran on both the GameCube <laughs> and the yeah. and the Wii. Was- oh. oh man! And just to subtly really troll everyone. Twilight Princess was horizontally mirrored on the Wii uh, oh, because right. you swung your sword oh God, with your right hand. Oh, man, I forgot about that. That's so, so just weird. just to make it have a little bit more of like an eerie. What are the <laughs> imperceptible differences here? In one of them, Link is right-handed, and in one of them, he's left-handed. <laughs> God, that was such a strange minute there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, that must have been fundamentally like the exact same build of the game, but with slightly different controls turned on because the hardware is the same. Oh yeah, so weird. Yeah. Only but the that- Wii <laughs> can, can, oh man, yeah, <laughs> that was a bad time. Um, 
But that new Zelda. It looks I, really cool. Yeah, it does look really cool. I'm really excited yeah. about that new Zelda game. Yeah. I guess I went to E3 and came back excited about stuff. Oh, yeah. You, Sorry, Jake, everyone. You actually, Jake actually went to E3. And oh, Jake, yeah. Nick, I and I, Nick and I didn't, but Jake was there. Uh, I only... I. All that I was, I was there for the Sony press conference and I walked into the convention center far enough to say hi to someone and shake their hand and then stand near a gigantic inflatable bag of Doritos that was like, <laughs> that was like a full one and a half stories high and was just like really proud that I was at E3 standing near a huge Doritos bag and then I left. Uh, so my E3 experience was very small, but I did watch all of the new Zelda videos and I was really excited about it. Yeah. Uh, the new Zelda game. It looks. It looks like. Uh, it looks What's like it it's called The Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very focused on having a huge outdoor landscape. Uh, it's aesthetically really evocative of like Miyazaki movies, kind of, or even like the <clears throat> the old illustrations from the old Nintendo manuals and strategy guides and stuff. Like it feels like yeah. the, it looks mm. like the cover of the Link to the Past Nintendo Player's Guide to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh man. Um, yeah. and it also just. <clears throat> just from the few videos that I watched, it feels a little bit like in the Shadow of the Colossus kind of vein. Oh well, the the it's they it's an interesting Zelda game because uh, it feels like Nintendo has been like threatening, but like a positive Nintendo, every players will be excited threat uh, to change up the format of Zelda for a long time, and I think people thought like, oh, maybe Twilight Princess will, or maybe Skyward Sword will, yeah. uh, and it wasn't until. A Link Between Worlds, which was the 3DS Zelda game, that it felt like they had actually experimented with the formula at all, where they introduced the um, the item shop where you can go in and just rent or buy oh, right. any item in any order, and that was like, oh, maybe maybe Nintendo's trying to actually unchain the yeah. order of events of, of Zelda well, games. What's really interesting about this one to me relative to, say, what you just described as a tweak on the Zelda formula is typically... When, Nintendo is this very odd developer where often they will talk about sort of changing the formula to their to their classic game or doing this or that. But the the tweak to it will often be an extremely interesting, but also extremely esoteric just thing yeah. that seems yeah. like it came out of that just like, came out of a brainstorm session that is disconnected from the entire. What rest if of Link the game could be industry? a painting was yeah. the way that they actually <laughs> sold a link right. between worlds being a mix up. And everyone was like a painting that's stupid. Right. You can go onto a wall. And then the secret good one was that they added that out of order item shop thing. Well, but but, but, but the painting thing like it, i mean what like aside from the specifics of that one exact game like the things that they those weird things like link as a painting or link as a wolf right are sometimes <laughs> actually like cool or fun or whatever they're just a character of change that is totally not how the entire rest of the video game industry yeah. iterates on things which is kind of what makes nintendo an interesting developer in the first place but but what's crazy about this one is it actually looks like nintendo the, the designers of this game have played other games that aren't they Nintendo played some games, Far Cry. which is cr- yeah, they, they played like Skyrim <laughs> and tell. Far Cry. It's yeah. the cr- it's so weird. It's and and uh, like it's got a lot of Minecraft and Don't Starve type stuff mm. in it as well. Like it, it feels. Yeah. I I really like. I mean, we should get into some of the specifics, but I really like looking at this game. Um, like I think from a pessimistic standpoint, you could say that the new features in the Zelda game are derivative of a lot of games that have come out recently. But at the same time, yeah. uh, I, I one I don't care or about that argument even though i've read it in a few places but two i I actually really like that nintendo i think spawned a lot of like the the legend of zelda is the progenitor of a ton of stuff and i oh, really yeah. like seeing it's the action Nint- adventure genre as yeah we know it. i i love seeing the legend of zelda as a series look outward at a lot of the things that ha- that are its progeny and then brought a lot of that stuff back into it and and made a really yeah it looks like a really slimmed down nintendo version of that stuff like it's the first zelda game with a jump button 
Um, but that's because you can just climb up any vertical surface. Like you can just shadow of the Colossus the world and Link has an endurance meter. Like this game, it seems like it's taken a lot of like stats and item numbering and like uh, integer based stuff. Like you have three bombs or you can make three jumps or whatever and turned all of that stuff into cooldown based uh Stuff like you can only climb as high as Link has energy to climb. And that's how they gate. But that can presumably increase over the course of the game. It probably can, but I'm not sure if it will because they use it to uh, prevent you from Skyrimming off the world map. Right, but you could still design walls that are intended to only... uh, Yeah, it seems like the the modifiers that they've shown, instead of increasing (laughs) the endurance meter, like... uh, massively shorten your cooldown time or increase your climbing speed or whatever. But yeah, I'm sure they, they could also easily make the, just make the meter longer or well, like if you increase your climbing speed, keep, but you get some kind of power same, gloves. That oh, that's true. That's higher. functionally the same. Yeah. That's get some true. Boots, some cool boots. You can slide boots. You can equip your you slide, slide boots. You can rent those slide yeah. boots from the store. Everything being uh timer and cooldown based pairs with the fact that it seems like they've also just gone all in on Everything being, or not everything, but huge elements of the game being physics-based or physically simulated, where, like, Link's powers are things like you have a bomb, uh, and the bomb is a sphere, so that you can throw a bomb in Zelda that will roll down a hill and kill the wrong guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, the bomb rolls down the hill. And also, be, be, yeah, the, the bomb rolls down the hill. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a, Watching, I so I watched a couple of their sort of big 30-minute videos about this game, and, or, you know, demonstrating the game. In a live setting, which was which was good, because what you want for a game like this is to sort of prove to people when revealing it that this stuff Real. is all legit and isn't canned. I mean, the Zelda series <clears throat> is has a lot of amazing design in it, but what if it one of its hallmarks, I think, actually increasingly over the course of the the series, maybe this is this is maybe um, softened a little bit, but oddly from the first game the zelda series actually sort of started to get more and more prescribed and constricted in its design and in its attitude towards um player action and then of course once it goes to 3d that just intrinsically lets up a bit because you in a 3d environment you're almost always the player almost always has can fuck around a little yeah, more but they've but, been then locking them down more and more again exactly like. yeah and uh it's Shock! It's sort of, in a way, shocking to see how much they're modeling in this game and how much they're relinquishing that grasp on the player. It it kind of, in retrospect, makes the series, uh, the the uh, sort of latter era of the series, even more conservative in retrospect because this demonstrates how much the Zelda flavor is still preserved despite how much they're sort of loosening the reins. And it seems totally like. Fine. I mean, it's it just it's kind of crazy to look back at how unwilling they ever were to let let that hem out a bit because it, it clearly still survives as a 100 percent identifiable and um, sort of self-possessed Zelda game, despite yeah. all this extra player uh, tool set. It was it was weird how evocative there were how evocative some moments in those videos were like literally of playing Far Cry 2. Like yeah. it actually cracked me <laughs> up. Really yeah. There was a moment in that video. The fire the fire thing? Yeah, there, oh, there was man. a moment in that video where someone crests over a hill and looks yeah. down at a camp of like three goblins just doing yeah. like non-aggressed yeah. AI and then somehow fucks up and rolls a rock onto the wrong guy and has to like sword them to death at the last minute. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. what is that? What did I just see? Also, the yeah, the grenades roll down the roll down hills and then cause fire to propagate. Um, also, I, I really like. There's the, also weather a weather cycle. Yeah, mm-hmm. day night and weather cycle. Yeah, it's really really good. Uh, yeah. Also, 
Oh man, the, the a thing that I thought was really I thought it was funny and cute and very Nintendo way that they give you spherical bombs that are super physicsy, but then you can also unlock cube bombs that are that are less than less susceptible to physics mishaps. Oh, like you man. can you can drop uh yeah, you can drop like a suitcase that has that has a little uh, bomb wick on it instead. But like the they showed off um uh it sounds like this game, it has full Zelda dungeons, but what Nintendo demoed at E3 were things that they're calling shrines, which are, like, just tiny, uh, they said there's, like, a hundred plus, just, like, scattered, t- small underground challenge areas, and they demoed a couple of them at E3, and the one with the bombs was, like, it felt like, um, it felt like a, a, a Half-Life 2 or a portal environment, because the puzzles were all physics-based, physics where, like, yeah. mm. there were huge stone uh, slabs that were at 45-degree angles that would then, like, jut out suddenly like a pinball uh pinball spring launcher and that was how you were taught what bombs were supposed to do in this in this game mm. where you like position things and time them correctly to launch them on like launch pads using physics um and it seems like they've given they replaced the number of bombs that you have with a cooldown because of the fact that since everything's physically based you're probably just going to screw it up and eat shit and do all right. sorts of things you right. could never predict so it would yeah. be impossible to punish people for bombs uh the same and on that same note uh, Although if you wanted to really Far Cry two your players, you would <laughs> right. they would be able to run out right. of bombs and, and there would be like shitty bombs and good bombs. There is the we- there is weapon degradation in this game. That's true. Yeah. Oh, there is. You yeah, part, of, part of the the oh, core so loop of this bombs. game is that your weapons fall apart and you kill enemies and pick oh, up their weapons. Oh, so you're man, constantly crazy. in this loop of yeah, you're huh. ch- you're churning yeah. through I stuff. But that. then also there's there's crafting, but it seems like very very forgiving there's and malaria. slim. There's no malaria, but like. It's there's hilarious shit. You chop down trees with an axe really efficiently or with a sword semi efficiently. It falls in the direction that you're facing, oh, so man. you can use a tree to bridge a uh, gap to find a secret, or you can miss and then you've got to go find a different tree to use. <laughs> also, a tree stump that falls on the ground, you can chop up with an axe and then it blips into two wood wooden bundles, That's very which you can then use yeah. as. You can equip the stick as a shitty sword, or you can set it on fire and use it to propagate fire, or you can use it to light enemies on fire. Man. I was like. What is happening? Yeah. Also, there's cooking and all sorts of garbage. Oh, you, you. This is the most Minecraft of all. Is that you can have? Is that you have an inventory of meat and other edible objects, which is what you use to get hearts. There's no hearts mm. that spawn out in the world, um, but you can also craft things into one, two, three, and hearts related. Like you can make mix cook steak with mushrooms to make right. a meat skewer that's worth three hearts. Um, but also there are like little improvements to this that I like, like certain prepared foods uh, give you red hearts, but they will also give you yellow hearts, which are overcharged hearts. Like if you if you only have three heart containers, but you eat a food that is worth six, you get three hearts temporarily. And then if they get lost, you can't re-eat to get them back. But it means you can like mm. sort of charge up with a good meal before a boss battle, basically <laughs> to like just get a temporary little like overfill. Like that's, there's little stuff like that that just seems really smartly done. Yeah. Um, oh, and it, since it's a Nintendo game, it seems like even if you if you craft a bunch of garbage together, you get uh, an item. At least in the demo, they they accidentally crafted a thing called dubious food <laughs> that was still worth one heart. So like it's Nintendo. Oh, so like, oh, like if you craft some food together, we're not gonna just throw it away and give you dirt. Yeah. You at least yeah. get you get just like a right. one heart, just like questionably mm-hmm. shitty yeah. meal out of it. Like that does it like, play like a weird sound and Link makes a face? I yeah. hope it doesn't. It seems like. Um, yeah. there's sort of, there's, so there's obviously the main thing we've been talking about, which I think is the, the, by far the most interesting thing about this game is the influence that, you know, I, I would venture to guess as an influence from, you know, largely, or at least 
significantly Western game development, right? Games like um, the Elder Scrolls and 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 um, uh, Minecraft and all of the, and the, the Ubisoft the, games, the, yeah, the yeah. the vast just just huge huge landscape of large scale systems driven physics governed uh exploration action adventure games that have really dominate increasingly dominated the the uh the western game landscape over the last decade or so but there's also and this is more arg- arguable i think i don't know if i'm correct about this it seems as though there's also some kind of influence from the japanese other other non nintendo Japanese sort of fantasy franchises like like Final Fantasy in the sort of fusing of the introduction of technology into a a series that has traditionally been straight fantasy, right? Like the Final Fantasy series was just uh, fantasy in a sort of classic mold for several games. And then with Final Fantasy VI, I think, right, is they started introducing yeah. these like technological elements in the world. And th- when I – a lot of, a lot of the st- – Zelda seems like a, a softer introduction of that than Final Fantasy was when there were like robots walking around, but or like mech suits. But um, but it does seem as though that is also influencing this game, right? Like, yes. doesn't Link have a little screen device? Yeah, which I'm sure that, that's like, that's the thing that feels like the most like a Nintendo gimmick. Like he does, he has a tablet, which obviously maps to the to the Wii U controller, which is the tablet. Yeah, but it feels like they're as the way they've treated that aesthetically is very. Like it actually is pretty nice. Yeah, but it's also explicitly technological. It's not yes. like a magical tree bark that, sh- you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. Like he has a glowing tech techno tablet. Yeah. That he like RFID and the, the, links in templates, yeah. temples and, and stuff. When he opens yeah. the map, it looks like a crazy computer. Like it looks a cyber map. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's, like it's crazy. There's a thing you you can bring the tablet up to your eyes, and he sort of like splits it open, and there's a like camera inside of it and then you can zoom into the you world tag and, enemies. and tag enemies and tag waypoints that then show up on your map so like wow. you can you can like far, you can right? look off in the horizon yeah and put an x on a map of the, yeah, of like the sniper tower that you're going to yeah this um the way that this game has suddenly evolved and added a bunch of modern features but also feels very freeing and surprisingly pared down despite it being more baroque than other things also feels very much like the metal gear solid 5 trajectory to me yes oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i think metal gear solid 5 is a really good touchstone for this as well yeah yeah, yeah. and you and know that's a, that's a good thing because hopefully not in yeah. all ways hopefully not well always. yes yes true <laughs> yeah uh the <laughs> the thing the the one piece in all of the the has, has anyone seen zelda's character model yet <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh geez oh no <laughs> Anyway, oh, Saint <laughs> Side diversion: Link does start at the beginning of the game in just a pair of boxer briefs, and apparently, you can complete the entire game in just those boxer briefs if you want to be really ah, hardcore great. and never Naked armor Link. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah another, great. another, another Metal Gear Solid yeah. connection. Yeah. They, Nintendo was also uh, really sort of goofily excited to point out that you can complete the entire game as a vegetarian if you want. That you can not <laughs> hunt animals for meat. <laughs> <laughs> and you could just craft vegetables. Yeah. So you could be a boxer naked shorts, vegetarian. a naked vegetarian link yeah. and complete this just, game. Yeah. That's like the hardest core be run. A total burner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the one piece that does not seem like it's been hit very hard by the reassess everything in this game, from the videos at least, is enemy actual enemy encounters, like the way that you fight a guy. And that I I might uh, I might be misreading that. You don't but, mean encounters, you just mean literally Sorry, combat. the combat. Literally because like, the encounters are the totally encounter different. design feel very different, but the actual like the like the little goblin that goes burp, 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 right. and walks up to you <laughs> yeah. feels exactly like a fight sequence from about like Wind Waker. Feels like about sure. where that stuff landed. And to although the, you can distract, you can like 
throw a thing into their camp before they see you and they'll get distracted by it and that's go true and look that at stuff's it. good i guess once once they aggro you and it's once time a sword for, is like, hitting a guy sword, sword to guy yeah. like it it kind of bummed me out like there was a point when they used the new climbing system to like climb up onto an old like piece of decrepit castle wall that was out of the middle of nowhere and instead of the goblin having any ability to like back up and use a ranged weapon or to like climb itself they just sort of like rotated back and forth like hugging against the edge of the collision trying to get to you even though you had a height difference from mm. them and it was like oh that it kind it's kind of mm. a bummer especially after playing st- Weirdly, after playing the new Doom game, which is all about mantling up and down uh, and yeah. the sort of circle strafing uh, guys, the enemies in Doom are fantastic yeah, good at taking the the actual fact that you have control over your height into account and still having classic Doom feeling Doom feeling encounters or Doom feeling like combat with those guys. Uh, when you engage, when I see Nintendo engage with those characters, yeah, I wonder why. So it seems like they have the they have the bones of that because enemies will if. If you disarm an enemy in this game, they will pick up a different weapon. They'll they'll pick up a rock. Like I saw a crazy thing where I, where Link knocked a s- sword or whatever or a club out of the out of the goblin's hand, and the goblin just found a rock on the ground and threw it at Link, which is cr- I mean that's like very yeah, cool that's awesome. and reactive. But yeah, I, I mean it sounds like there are some walls that it runs up it, against. It, it also might be that they just said well, the place that we're going to draw the line is the way that Link swings a sword, the way that enemies like uh, block. Uh, and engage with attacks like that t- that little like micro loop of how you just fight a goblin in a 3d zelda game maybe they didn't touch that specifically because they just decided that was where they were going to draw the line i don't know like yeah. i mean the way that link uses his sword uh feels exactly like ocarina of time still like that's the one piece that feels like it's mm-hmm. been completely not right. touched except for the fact that the sword eventually gets beat up and falls apart is right. the Master Sword going to degrade? That would be hilarious. <laughs> I imagine not. No one has used this as a museum piece for like 2,000 years. Why are you just clanging it against oh, rocks God. to make fire? Uh, also, yeah, when you, once you find a flint rock, until it is used up, you can hit any metal object against it to create a spark to create a fire. Like, they're, just, they're doing good That's stuff. Um, yeah, who knows what it will be like as an actual game. Maybe it's going to be a hot mess of, like... B- boring goblins and bosses that you hit six times till they fall asleep over and over again. But I don't know. I don't Probably think not. it will be. It yeah, doesn't look like so it. Either. Oh, also it has a hang glider you can unlock just to oh, really yeah, yeah. go. Oh, yeah, to just to fully, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it is really cool to see these huge franchises like Metal Gear and Zelda that seem to have fallen asleep at the wheel suddenly like wake up pop up and realize <laughs> that a bunch of the stuff that was really interesting about their earliest versions evolved separately from them and then pulling all of that stuff back in and mm-hmm. doing their version of it to be like this like it, it i hope that this zelda game holds up to the promise that they're making because it feels like a very nice assertion of like zelda is actually where these experiences came from and it's a, and they actually still belong here and the same way that metal gear solid 5 felt like uh the sort of that stealth genre then disappeared and went off into Splinter Cell and went off into Assassin's Creed and went off into mm-hmm. all these other places. And like, you know, yep. seeing that stuff come back is really cool. Mm-hmm. Also, it's just really nice when Nintendo actually puts out a nice, polished, well-rendered looking thing that actually uh, feels like nice to be in. Yeah. Mario mm-hmm. Galaxy was one of the last times mm-hmm. that I feel like they super duper did that where I was like, oh, yeah. this is like in its Mario Kart 8 was, huh? was Mario Kart 8 was really nice to look at and everything, but it yeah. was, it's not the same that's thing. Such a it's not the quantity. same. Like, yeah, sure. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean Mario Kart. Don't get me wrong. Mario Kart is great. Like it's a great that is series, that was the closest though to a, the closest like, thing on major the Nintendo. I like major Nintendo franchise bubble reimagined in a way that actually feels like it yeah. justifies its existence. 
When's um, the NX supposed to come out? I can't remember. I think it's March next year, I think. Okay. Somewhere around there. Did they say this is a launch title or anything? Did yeah, they not address yeah, that? They yeah. didn't. They basically just canceled, or they, they, they didn't cancel because they'd never announced anything, but they said, our E3 presence is going to be this Zelda game. That's all they had here. And they didn't say... They didn't right. say anything about that. They demoed it on a Wii U. So, like, yeah. who knows what hardware it was running on, yeah. but with the controller yeah. that it was running on oh. was a Wii that U tablet. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, though. Yeah. Who's to say? Huh. Um, what I meant is, unless there's a big yeah. uh, a big change to the to the UI and to how you can... Like, they never cut to... Yeah. They never yeah. cut to the Wii U display, but it, right. I got the impression that the reason Nick... Ha- or Nick? Wow. <laughs> the Nick Brecken star of The Legend of Zelda. Yeah. Um, the reason that Link has a tablet in that is because... It's Nintendo's classic move, the same way that, like, in the Phantom Hourglass, Link can draw symbols on a page because it was a mm-hmm. DS. The reason he has a tablet is because the yeah. Wii U controller is a tablet. Right. And, like, by implication, they're either changing a lot about this game before it ships or the NX is going to be another tablet console. I imagine they'll just, if they think that, I mean, I would be not surprised at all if they just kept that basic controller design. But I don't know. Hopefully it's even like more bubbly and fat and like <laughs> the screen's even squishier and more yeah, like hopefully an old, your Wii U an old like bank like, teller checkout right. screen. Hopefully your Wii U controller just slots into it somehow and just, <laughs> just it just becomes it's, like, it's a, just a, like a 32 shell. X. Like, it's a grip. Like, it's two grips that clamp onto the sides right, to give it right. two more analog yeah, sticks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. Do you remember when they put out that grip you could have fixed to your 3DS? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your stick? Man, yeah. what a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Players demand it's like a dual stick that Metroid or whatever it was that that was for. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> I don't know much else about what happened at E3. It's fine. That's fine. We t- it's fine. Yeah, that was like the most E3 content we've had on an Idle Thumbs in so long. I, I think like yeah. that was. Yeah, it felt. We usually just sort of pretend E3 didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really pretend. I mean, but that's the the crazy uh. thing for me is I don't. It's so difficult for me to want to watch press conferences like I, yeah i just when e3 is actually ha- like I'll, at this point for me it's like okay over the sort of week or two following e3 i will just sort of by osmosis i will absorb the useful or worthwhile stuff that came out of e3 just because people will be reacting to it and talking about it but when it's happening it is so difficult for me to work up the enthusiasm to just watch hours of just well, presentations and press yeah. conferences. I At just, this point, it just seems like a lot of announcements for announcements for things that you already know are going to exist that are not surprising. And then the surprising things, if they exist, are just hidden underneath all of that noise. So, like, I'm sure, like, a month from now, I'll be like, oh, that thing was announced? Oh, that looks cool. But, like, I'm not going to know right now because my Twitter feed is just a disaster and everything else is just you know, signal boosting to the extreme, right? Just have no idea what actually was. The last couple cool. of years, E3 press conferences actually felt like they had a wide variety of stuff in them, like things like Cuphead or Tacoma or The Witness mm. or whatever were things that yeah. like people found out about because they were in keynotes. This year, it did not feel like that was the case. It felt like everyone was just showing off huge AAA stuff, which I think is probably because we're on the verge of mm. a second launch window for both of these platforms. Like, I, I mean, I'm not sure if... Sony well, Sony announced that they're doing a new console, but I don't know if the window for it is announced. And I know Microsoft said there's isn't until next year, but it feels like they're like everything's yeah. going 4K, motherfucker. Get ready for a lot of high frequency, high definition, AAA, dense as fuck environments, and you're gonna watch some physics cloth flap against a guy's butt as you <laughs> run him through a big ass world. Like that felt like everything that they demoed this year, which feels like a console launch E3. Whereas like mm-hmm. 
Last year was like Gone Home guys got a game in E3. Yeah. Firewatch well, was in E3. Like it was different. It felt very different this a, year. A lot of the things that it's like a lot of the announcements that I saw just at a cursory glance were VR announcements and they were all VR experience announcements for things that seem very sort of like, I don't know, like short and, and vague, you know, yeah. which I just, I yeah. have no way of getting excited about that because I, one, I don't own a VR thing, so I don't even know, like, I have no touchstone for any of that stuff, but then also like, oh, maybe Batman VR will be amazing. I have no yeah, idea. Going, I can't tell from a video, so there's no way for me to get excited about it. Going you know? back like, to what you were saying about the, the weird hardware pro- proliferation earlier, it feels like we're in like a smaller and way weirder like hill climb to a launch of new stuff Mm -hmm. it's not but it has that same feeling of just like okay everyone's just throwing a lot of money against the wall right now as opposed to like being mid-cycle which we were uh, like the last couple years it's like okay it's time for the weird stuff because everyone is in the like all the big teams are heads down doing whatever wherever the money is uh, which i guess is vr and mid-cycle 4k consoles uh Giant Doritos bag. <laughs> it was so huge. Know, so big. Uh, yeah. And it was also, a, it was a Doritos bag that said Doritos Taco Explosion was the name of that bag. God, I saw so many different different people on my Twitter feed yeah. posting pictures of themselves with the Dorito bag. Yeah. How could you not? I, like, I know. They distilled E3 down into, into its how, essence. How self-aware do you think the on the part of the Doritos marketers. Oh, I think they're pretty self-aware. Yeah. Oh, it was I just, mean, I went to twitch.tv slash Doritos for three seconds, and it was oh, yeah. just like to that too, an electronic like rave that was happening, yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, I, this is exactly yeah, what no, I expected. No. I, mm, <laughs> Doritos to, presents... To, to make the Nick Brecken mm, and a uh, hand wave noise, I don't know how self-aware they were, because the, oh, yeah? the, the lobby of that E3 was the Doritos mix station, where you could silkscreen a custom Doritos t-shirt. Like, mm, uh, mm, there were, they was like... Were people taking them up on the custom Doritos t-shirts? I don't know. I just saw a huge silk screening machine and I saw like one guy looking like looking through some CDs or something. It felt like it was like half a step away from a Doritos street team. So I don't know how (laughs) self-aware it actually was. Okay. If it was Notch Presents, the Doritos mix station. (laughs) Here's the thing though. In in the current moment, it doesn't really matter how self-aware you are or not because you can weirdly just as a brand, you can just dive further yeah. into oh, yeah. like the vat of irony and and leave it to the the receiver. Twitch chat will just make it whatever it's going to be yeah, anyway. Exactly. So like, like nobody you can cares. Kind of just yeah, yeah. Like brands are simultaneously sort of um, uh, derided, but also accepted unquestioningly. Right. Like there's so much of a fabric of our just identity and sort of like. Um, online ex- and i guess real world existence that it doesn't matter how ironically or self-aware uh, so ironic or self-aware any of it is because it will it won't actually be questioned at all like right. it's it's i don't know yeah doritos can have twitch.tv slash doritos and fill the the lobby of e3 with a huge doritos bag and a custom doritos t-shirts and like people will just take it in whatever way they want but doritos will still just be everywhere uh, they can have their chips and eat them too, those Chris. Those slide boots. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, we need to take a break right now. <laughs> okay. Video this episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron will send all the ingredients and recipes you need to make really convenient and delicious and healthful meals directly to your home. Um, I've been doing it for a little while now. Um, last night, I made these amazing little 
beef tortilla things with pickled onions and so i signed up for for blue apron oh you did yeah i'm gonna do it did you i'm use gonna the, give it a shot did you use the, i did use the order code <laughs> so go to blueapron.com <laughs> slash idle and you will get your first two meals free with free shipping as well um it's it's tough to beat that so wait what was your have you already gotten your first one not yet okay Next you're week. still waiting Next okay week. all right nice. i look forward to hearing the tales of of your blue apron experience i'm excited yeah. about it it's great it's cheaper than going out to a restaurant and you still get the sort of novelty of something that you would totally probably not, at least in my case, would not have cooked on my own, would not even have thought to cook on my own because mm. I just don't think of it. So the thing that I already like about it is that like I'm, I already cook a lot. And yeah. so that's not like the thing that's attractive to me about it. But one, uh, I like just like them delivering the the actual portions of things because often I'll just buy like a bottle of sesame oil and then never use any of it. So like it's nice. The worst that, for me is the herbs and stuff. Yeah, you herbs buy, and stuff. Like, a huge oh, thing of cilantro because they never like, let never... you buy less than that. Yeah, I know. And yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Like I've never really been scared of cooking or anything. I grew up in a family where my dad showed me how to cook and but there's just all kinds of ideas i would never think of in terms of like how to reuse the same ingredient as first like an aromatic in the mm. pan and then as a garnish when you're done and it looks totally pro yeah, but it was stuff, actually that really stuff's easy. really awesome yeah. yeah not only do you can can you if you need to get over the hump of cooking at all but you just also learn a bunch of technique for how to prepare all sorts of different foods you would never touch usually mm -hmm. it's really cool yeah so if you go to blueapron.com slash idle you can get your first two meals and shipping totally free. That's blueapron.com slash idle. Video games. All right. I think we're back. Oh, hey. Hey there. Uh, so this past weekend, uh, all three of us sat down for about five hours here in the studio and streamed dozens of games from Wizard Jam 2016, which is the uh, this year's iteration, the recently concluded um, iteration of the community created community run game jam that are like the idle forums just put together. And we kept telling ourselves we were going to do streams of these in the past. And we, you know, just shitheads that we are, didn't, did not do it, but this time we did. And it was so, uh, okay. I thought it was going to be good. I thought it was going to be awesome because how could it not be? It was so much more amazing than yeah. I thought it was going to be. I'm so glad that I, I, you know, went in blind and kept myself from, uh, even though it was difficult, <laughs> kept myself from playing any of those games or even really looking at any of them beforehand because I was just serially blown away. IGN.com. <laughs> by, uh, by everything that popped up on the screen. I mean, I can't believe how, like, just the, the, range of creativity and just different yeah. ideas like we were equally wrecked by just like incredibly well-realized highly produced game like jam games that could basically go on steam Greenlight right now to totally novelty uh like weird first person gag experiences to like a twine game all like yeah. across the range to, we're all to, like also i would say the other big category is unpolished stuff that is just a clever idea that could, with some work, be extended into something yeah. that could yeah. end up on Steam. Or it could just light. stand on its own as just like someone's really fun idea. That sure, just any used. of these yeah. could as yeah. that. It's but really, yeah. it's but, really but cool. The 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 number of different approaches to a game jam game was really high, and I think it was really really smart of the uh, of the people who originally conceived of Wizard Jam to have to put a two week limit on it, yes. which is much higher than most game jams, and it you end up with this really great. I think sweet spot that you just don't see in a lot of 
game jams, which is allowing people who really already know what they're doing to bring something to a shockingly high degree of completion, at least in terms of proving out an idea. But you also have enough time that people who maybe can't just hit the ground running can actually spool up over the course of the two weeks and get help from other people or look for other team members. Um, And there was, I mean, I just, I can't even say enough about just the, the, how impressive the, um, the overall slate was. It was totally incredible. If you go to youtube.com slash idle videos, uh, the streams up there, it's labeled as idle thumbs, wizard jam, 2016 part one, because our hope is to do a part two where we finish all the rest of the games that were submitted in this year's jam. And maybe even, I think we only got about halfway through. I think we got about two thirds through. Okay. Yeah. But, but we were talking about maybe also doing some from wizard jam 2015. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Maybe that's a, yet a third stream, but, um, but yeah, you should check it out because it, it was crazy. Yep. If you want to watch it with chat archived, you can also go to twitch.tv slash idle thumbs and it's in our highlights page. That's Um, true. Yeah. That's a cool thing about Twitch archives now is that you can follow along with chat as it was live. Mm -hmm. So you can watch people get totally destroyed. By the shoot that pizza. I was just gonna say shoot made. that pizza. I knew you were gonna say shoot that pizza. Man, oh, God. yeah. What also, if you actually, um, we we list the URL in the in the video. But if you want, if you're watching this video and much like watching someone streaming something, you're like, I gotta just go play these. You can go to itch.io/jam/wizard-jam-2016, and they're all there. Um, uh, we like so you can. Just go play shoot that pizza. Like just <laughs> yeah. go play shoot that pizza, and then Got you'll it. know that you should play all the other games. I went home and played them all again with Janelle, and oh, that's had awesome. a really really good time. And she was blown away as well. Um, it's yeah, I don't know. It was. It, I mean, she was just shocked at how like professional and interesting all of them were. And I think I don't know. It's good to good to see somebody else who has no. I mean, like she listens to Idle Thumbs, but doesn't really you know whatever. It's it's weird for us playing these games. It's she was like, oh, what's this? You know, is this like an in joke from like this episode title? And I, I was like, I don't remember. Like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe, knows? but maybe like, most of it is just people. Most of it's just really good taking the yeah. taking the ideas and then running off in a completely yeah. unpredictable direction. Even multiple games that have that are based on the same episode title have nothing to do with each other. Like there were two zombie train from beyond Earth, uh, zombie train beyond Earth, or yeah. zombie train beyond Earth. Uh, and one of them was a 2D adventure game about someone who's moonwalking, and the other one was like a, a sort of Blendo Games inspired first person experience, like vignette. Basically. Yeah, vignette yeah. experience on a train. Um, it's the the stuff is just the output is just so high. From yeah, like you said, from people who are clearly veteran game designers to people who have never made something before, but felt like they had the space allowed to them to to do it. Um. One other like total side note to this is we ran a ton of Wizard Jam out of uh, Itch Itchio's uh, app, which is really new. That's just called Itch. That thing is really like it's clearly like it's clearly got some growing pains and is new. But as far as uh, my ability to experience a game jam goes, it's never been as easy as this before. Where oh you, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you can nice. go to the Wizard Jam page inside of that app and then just click. There's an add to collection button on every game's icon that you can press, and then from there. There's a download button and it basically you can run you can run the entirety of a game jam like you can play the entirety of a game jam uh, as if it was like a Steam library where that you just you know you have the latest version of the game. It only gives you the ones that run on your platform and then you, you can just press the launch button and it pops you into the game quit and you're back at a list uh, of launchers as opposed to the usual game jam experience, which is downloading 30 RAR files and uh, 
unzipping them to various directories, then finding the executables and whatever else, like, and not knowing where the controls are. Like, ah, it's, it was a crazy, it was a really nice experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, please, please check this out either at uh, twitch.tv slash idle thumbs or youtube.com slash idle videos. And then as Jake said, all the games are at itch.io slash jam slash wizard dash jam dash 2016. This stuff was just amazing. Oh, and you can also go to the Idle forums actually, and there's an entire Wizard Jam sub forum that has like a intro um, thread and everything else. And also, there's development, like rolling development threads for almost every game in the Jam. So if you're curious about like the motivation behind any of these games or the process the developers use, they document. Like everyone in that Jam does a great mm-hmm. job of documenting their process. Yeah, and then subscribe to us on either YouTube or Twitch so that you get new. Um, videos of these as they go up uh we're gonna do another one um also if you watch the archive on twitch you can see the amazing uh twitch chat emotes that we now have for subscribers to our twitch channel which currently are just me and nick uh our little heads show up can show up in twitch chat now but when we get enough subscribers they we will unlock the ability to add more emotes and we'll add jake and we we actually have like queued up there's Basically, a lot of them coming. Almost everyone who's ever been involved with the Idle Thumbs podcast uh, in there. So it's that will be very exciting. Those are by John Christensen uh, or Jan Christensen, perhaps. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, and they're they're really, really good. Yeah. Yep. So this is related, but un- unrelated to get to, to Wizard Jam, but related to Itch. I, I just want to quickly mention something, which is that I bought um, what what is being called first access to Overland which is the sort of X comma like game from Finji, mm. um, uh, which I, I kind of just bought on a whim. It was a $20, you know, sort of early access thing that again, they're calling first access because I just really, really liked how they're offering access to it. They're selling it through itch um, or, or they're, 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 Distributing it through itch, I should say. Yes. Um, they might also be using it for the pay- for the. They, they might. I'm not. I can't remember. But uh, you know, I just put my credit card in and I got it. And it works sort of like authenticating a humble bundle thing, where you can just download it directly through an email that they send you, or if you're logged into itch, you can associate it with your logged in itch account, and then it shows up in your client, and they keep the game updated. The thing that I find really cool about what they're doing here is that they've actually been unlocking sort of essentially alpha access on a tiered basis. So they'll, they'll, they'll make like 500 keys available at a time where they're like, okay, we're selling 500 keys to this alpha access basically of our game. And if you don't get into that before they, they run out of that stock of 500, you have to wait till whenever they next allow access to this big alpha push comes when they open new keys. And I think it's really, really smart. I think it's a, a really good way to counteract mm. some of the problems that often happen with early access games on Steam or anywhere the else. Dungeon and things like this. Yeah, which is that the game is out unofficially yeah. by exactly. the moment you just, put it on early yeah, access. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. And this just makes it totally unambiguous that like this game is not released. You are part of a very limited group of people who actually can play this right now. Mm-hmm. You're opting in to a like cons- a, a constrained experience, you know, constrained audience experience. It's the it's uh, really ghost smart. post uh, version of game development. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so I can't say anything more about Overland because I've only played it for a few minutes because I just got it. I just got it yesterday and I, you know what I, but I, oh man, 
Switching gears. Oh, hold on. One, one thing real quick is for people who are, if you're a developer who's interested in that stuff, like if you've seen what Overland is doing, it's a set of itch. Like they have some APIs and a lot of backend tools for developers now in a section of itch called itch refinery. Yeah. And like, so if you want to read up about how that stuff works for controlling pricing and distribution and feature set in, in the itch version of early access, it look, look up itch refinery. There's a ton of documentation. It's mm-hmm. really cool mm-hmm. stuff. Um, have we talked about the Disneyland ghost post stuff? On I, think, this podcast I, think briefly. I think we've talked about it yeah. briefly. But. Okay. So I, just, I don't know how much we can actually talk about this without just describing a bunch of puzzles and stuff, but it's just a really cool idea that I think is, is interesting. Disney, um, Disney for uh, the last three months has been running this weird subscription box thing called ghost post. Uh, that was also limited access. It was limited to, the first 999 people who signed up uh, to it, which is a reference to um, a, a, a sort of a, ga- a gag from the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland and other Disney parks where they they suggest that there are 999 happy haunts who are going to follow you home. And it was- No, two- the, the mansion has 999 happy ghosts, but there's room for a thousand. Implying, oh, implying that you will be the final That's ghost. true. That's true. I guess I'm combining two things because yeah. they also- There's that ghost that follows you home, whatever. Right. But they can't. The, the fiction of this subscription box is that the ghosts have lost their ability to leave the haunted mansion. And so you have to like solve the mystery, like whatever, and fix it. Uh, what's cool about it is that it takes a thing that is sort of in vogue right now, which is subscription boxes, which are a weirdly proliferating idea on the internet right now where you- there's a bunch of different companies now that all that all want to sell you like a box of crap every month um, that is just sort of trinkets and, you know, whatever. Uh, the or cool clothing thing, or food or whatever. That's true. But I'm thinking more of the like clothing like, and food are like functional. You're thinking of like the loot crate type situations? Yes, I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking of stuff that's just like fun stuff. That's that's not <laughs> like a, a, a thing that, that you would have had to buy anyway. Right. Like everyone has to buy food somehow. This is just one way of doing yeah. it. Everyone has to buy clothes somehow. No one actually needs to buy like a box of toys. Basically, you you just decide to. Um, and the thing that's so cool about this is that it isn't just a bunch of arbitrary stuff. It's actually a a, a uh, you know a series of stuff that you solve and you interact with, and some of it is amazing. Like it it works with your iPhone. It, it actually requires an iPhone specifically, which makes sense because making something for only a thousand people, you know, they wanted to minimize, I guess, the amount of development and compatibility testing they had to do. Um, but it's just every month for every month for the last three months, there's just been a bunch of like weird, cool puzzles and just surprising experiences that you get in the mail. Um, and then it culminates in theoretically, uh, if you have the ability to do so, you go to Disneyland and there's like, Jake, you've actually experienced this already. I have not, but I'm going to this weekend. I'm going to Disneyland this there, weekend. There's content inside of the parks that responds to you as a player of the game because because things run through an iPhone app. Uh, so, you know, iPhones yeah. have Bluetooth and iPhones have GPS and Disneyland knows what those things are. So there's things inside of the park that just react to you as a customer differently and actually play into the story of it. Like it turns into uh, like a miniature disneyified version of like uh, a puzzle room or an arg or something inside the park that's running just for you and other participants of this game it's really cool yep yeah and i a lot of people speculate i think almost certainly correctly that because the audience for the subscription thing 
is so small and could not possibly have even the smallest dent on Disney's bottom line, this must be sort of a pilot program for something larger scale they're looking to do yeah, either with, you know, subscription boxes or like vacation stuff or both. Or, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Oh, Who if knows? your family's because like Disney's big, they're tr- like, especially in the Florida park, it seems like they're really big on trying to sell families huge week long vacations months in advance where you plan out the rides you're going to go on and you plan out where you're going to eat. And it seems very much like they could be like, and maybe pay a hundred dollars extra. And in the intervening three months, you you and your family will get these weird boxes full of puzzles that contain a strange mystery that you can then get super excited to go solve when you're in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a very small version of this in Epcot a few years ago that was actually really cool that was themed around the TV show Kim Possible. They turned Epcot, which is like uh, Epcot Center is the theme park that has international pavilions of, of nations around the world. They would give you a cell phone uh, and you would become a spy and you'd get missions in the various cities and go to them uh and it would make animatronics do all sorts of dumb things. I, stuff like that seems really good. It's just a way to they have yeah. all this space full of all this really high tech stuff, and to reconceptualize uh, it as a like gameplay space seems really smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And I, I, uh, it's hard to talk about a bunch of the specific contents of the box, but like I do, I just want to mention one thing because it was just so surprising and rad in the most recent box. One of the things you got that culminated after you solved like this other big puzzle that was actually kind of annoying and, and buggy in some ways is this like cardboard contraption that you snap together and then put a piece of clear plastic into and then you slide your phone into it and it creates a like Pepper's ghost sort of holographic effect where three disembodied ghost heads like sing the Haunted Mansion song and it looks like the cool reflection mm. sort of ghostly effect that you see on the Haunted Mansion ride at Disney. Oh, like in the big ballroom scene with the ghosts yeah. dancing around. And just like watching that happen. And in, they give you a tiny room. version of that that works with your phone. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. It was so cool. It was so awesome. It just like, it was just a fun, like totally surprising thing that was so well put together and so constructed. And if you like the Haunted Mansion, which I do a lot, the ride, um, it was just totally unexpected and great. Um, and that's not something that, you know, is, that's just a very specific little touch, but I was just, I just thought it was so cool. That's cool. Yep. Anyway, um, you guys want to do some reader mail? Sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's see here. We're going to have to probably not do tons of this because we're on a time limit right now, but um, we'll do a few, we'll do a few, few mails. So, okay. Erica writes, Hey thumbs, long time, first time, etc. Throughout the years, your robot news has worked to fascinate and terrify me. Today I bring you an AI which re which rewrote a screenplay, uh, and then she this. links to this on Ars Technica. She says, "Don't worry, it's not here to take our jobs yet. Currently, it writes at a bad high school drama production level." Cheers, Erica. Did you guys watch this? I no, did. I did yeah. Not, yeah. Oh man. Okay. This is like a like a what eight minute or yeah. something um, weird short film that was created by feeding. I think dozens and dozens and dozens of existing science fiction feature film screenplays into some kind of AI software. And then it spat out. I think it was based on predictive text, actually. Oh, it was. Right. Okay. You're, you're right. I just, you're correct about that. Yes. So they fed all these screenplays into a predictive text algorithm and then used that to just create all the lines to a screenplay. And then they performed it and filmed it and shot it as though it were a, a production. You know, a production, yeah, a, a sort of like film with real actors and etc. Yes, yeah. and it's it's complete nonsense. I mean, yeah. it's utter 
it, it, well, it does not make me concerned. I'm not saying there aren't good reasons to be concerned about about uh, AI taking over all our jobs, but this in particular did not worry me because <laughs> it was so incoherent. It was completely incoherent. That said, uh, it did make <laughs> me realize, and you know what it felt like to me is watching like a movie in a language that is not your own with no subtitles. Where you could where kind you of, if you, be, where if you, you, you have a grounding in the language, but you, y- yes. Well, in this case, it's, it's certainly, yeah, yeah but, but, but it like, basically oh, they're, is incoherent. They're so clearly talking really... about a car. Oh, they're, they're near a car now, but like, yeah, you, mm-hmm. any more knowledge yeah. than that is, yeah, 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 yeah. so you start to sort yeah. of read into it, but like, I don't know, the acting carried a lot of that to the point where like, you can kind of make up your own story. So for this, going this predictive on. algorithm could write Transformers six based on Transformers one through five, maybe. Yeah. I think, yeah, I would be interested to actually see something that focused. Yeah, yeah, no, that would be yeah. that would probably be more interesting because this yeah. they fed in just a ton of unrelated films, which obviously it just makes, created makes sense. Nonsense. But yeah. right, it would probably still create nonsense with the Transformers thing. But you could probably get a lot farther with yep. a franchise that is that dumb, and you know, this, it can make up its own words and concepts that don't have to. Tr- and like, it's n- notorious for not being coherent already, right? right. So like, maybe you yeah. could make the seventh or eighth or ninth X Men movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was funny. It was worth watching because it yeah. was just ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, Daniel Primo writes, Hey Thumbs, you guys were kidding around about Total War Sonic, but aren't you missing something? Halo Wars 2 is being developed by Creative Assembly, the developer of the Total War games. Total War Halo Wars. Total Halo Wars. Thanks, Daniel Primo, Atlanta. Good. I had totally forgotten that if I ever knew I it. I forgot that as well, yeah. That's the quote on the back of the box. What total is? war. I had totally forgotten about this. <laughs> Five stars. Out of thumbs. Yeah. Um, all right. And Halo Wars. Classic. Mm-hmm. Classic. Yep. Weird. Halo Wars. What a straight. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Ensemble, Guys, we just got this Halo Wars studios. IP languishing. We should yeah, yeah. <laughs> People have such fond memories of studio closures and... <laughs> <laughs> kind of awkwardly moving a cursor around a television screen. I guess it wasn't a cursor. But yeah. All right. Uh, Jonathan Actzener writes, Hey, Thumbs, hearing you talk about card shuffling made me think of a documentary on Martin Gardner. Gardner was the longtime Scientific American math puzzle and game columnist. In the documentary, none other than Percy Diaconis, who's the guy who was in the video I talked about last week, mm. um, talks about different ways of shuffling and dealing. The part that grabbed me was the talk of perfect shuffles, where you split the deck exactly in half and then alternate between stacks, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, etc. After eight perfect shuffles, the deck comes back to the original configuration. Yeah. Diaconis demonstrates this as he's talking about it and then describes how it would often apply to the clumping you see in bridge. And then he, he links to a video about this, which I guess I can read is vimeo.com slash 7176521. Nice. And now that I'm talking about Martin Gardner, I have to mention his annotated version of Carol's Alice in Wonderland slash Through the Looking Glass. There's so many mathematical puzzle game and wordplay references in those stories, and Gardner does a masterful job of describing them for non-math types like myself. I can't recommend it highly enough, even for casual fans of that work. Thanks, Jonathan. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I, huh. I'm going to read that URL again, actually, because now I want to watch this, which is vimeo.com slash 7176521. Yeah, that's, huh. That's interesting. The name of the video is The Nature of Things, Martin Gardner. Brad, uh, I know last week I promised that I would have a capper to the Hat Baron stuff, but I don't think that I have time to do it justice this week. But uh, next week I will will ha- will will oh. live in the end of the TF2 Steam economy. <laughs> now, 
the, the 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 cycle is complete by the way i think and we've gone from tf2 to dota 2 to counter-strike as the major mm. valve breadwinner and also that is where the uh the hat barons are now residing that's their like the hat barons haven so uh <laughs> it's uh Dad. yeah yeah good um well that's probably guys, that's probably call it there yeah. i think we have to get out of here but uh yeah um cool Thank you for listening to to Idle Thumbs. If you enjoy this podcast, please, please, please tell a friend. And if you think we deserve it, please consider rating us or reviewing us on iTunes. Uh, we can also be found on on Stitcher, and our podcasts go up every week on SoundCloud, which is where they're hosted. So there are other places you can listen to this podcast as well. Um, and you can, I mean, obviously, iTunes is the big place, so that's why those ratings really help us out a lot. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at idle thumbs. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash idle thumbs. We are now, you know, doing a lot more on Twitch at twitch.tv slash idle thumbs. You can subscribe to us there. Um, uh, we're not like requesting you do so. It's just an option. Uh, if you want to toss us a few bucks and doing so will unlock, um, those chat emotes for you. And if, if I think if five more people do that, we can add some more chat emotes, yeah. which will be good. Um, so that's a thing. And then all of those videos also go to YouTube once they're done at youtube.com slash idle videos. And we have a bunch of other podcasts on this network. You can see all of them at idlethumbs.net slash shows. Um, the limited run series by Teddy Deef, the uh, one of the developers of Hyperlight Drifter and now sort of incoming creative director at Square Enix Montreal. His series, uh, Playscape Los Angeles, just concluded. So you can listen to all of those interviews with cool people from the Los Angeles game scene also at idlethumbs.net slash shows that's up on there. Um, and yeah, plenty of other stuff. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Chris. Oh, thanks to Nick as well. Oh, also at the, be, before you guys got <laughs> here, bef- uh, when I was recording the pre-roll, I, I, I told the readers I was going to try and and I picked an arbitrary word that I was going to say as many times as I could before you guys either noticed or got mad at me. Um, so obviously that boots. word was sly boots. I think, I think Jay got mad on the first usage. So I don't <laughs> <lie>. <laughs>